Hello and welcome to episode seven of Giant Mess. I am your host, Neil Lynch. I am a giant mess. I'm also a Giants and Mets fan who loves movies, TV, comedy. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about the red hot New York Mets. We're going to talk about Baker Mayfield's comments about Danny Dimes, Daniel Jones, OBJ's obsession with his former team. We're also going to talk John Wick 3, the live action remake of Aladdin with Will Smith, TV news, movie news, my fantasy football draft, and how Spirit Airlines is the worst. So let's get started. I took a trip down to see my sister and her family down in the Myrtle Beach area of South Carolina. Not in Myrtle Beach, the Myrtle Beach area. She and her husband just bought a house in a town that is not near civilization. <laughs> it's not, it's on another planet as far as I'm concerned. It's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, my wife and, and daughter and I went down there on Friday, flew with the baby. Any parents out there who have flown with a baby know it sucks. We've already flown with her twice. Once, she was in the womb. It went fairly well. I, I can't speak for my wife. She probably was going through hell, but we didn't have people staring at us the whole flight. We went all the way to Hawaii, pregnant. Turned out okay. Second time, we flew down to Florida, Key West. The baby was... Around six months old, maybe younger. That was a struggle. She cried here and there, but she's not mobile. We can kind of contain her, you know, like a virus that hasn't spread too much. We can contain her. This flight to Myrtle Beach International. She's 11 months old, almost a year old. Okay. She's mobile. She's on the run. She's on the go. She doesn't have time to bleed. Okay. She is motoring. And when you have her on a plane that is tight quarters, especially on Spirit Airlines, which, I mean, it's a sardine can, folks. It's, I can barely, I'm barely six foot. I'm hefty, yeah, but I'm barely six foot. I, I'm scrunched into the seat. So this was going to be a challenge. I was expecting the worst, and it was touch and go here and there. But you know how Spirit Airlines makes it worse? They go cheap on everything, and I get it. They do it to make the flights more affordable to you. They charge you for everything. Hey, you want ice? It'll be a nickel. You want to breathe? It'll cost you your firstborn. Anything that you want outside of just sitting there, it's going to cost you a pretty penny. And, of course, they have trays. They're half the size of a normal tray, maybe smaller, and they don't have a lock, just a simple little lock mechanism on them. You just, and so what does my baby do? My baby sees everything and is like, I want to play with that, 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 and that. All over the place, my baby. She's exploratory. She wants to explore, touch things, find out what they feel like, they taste like, they smell like. She's in discovery mode. Okay, she's the blue Bluetooth. She just turned on her Bluetooth. She's in pairing mode right now. She's discovering shit left and right. And so you got this tray with no locking mechanism, and she's just up and the down and up and flipping it up and flipping it down and hitting it and hitting it and hitting it and flipping it up and flipping it down. Come on, spirit, put a fucking locking mechanism on the goddamn trays. So 
like I said, tight quarters. So she's all over the chair in front of her. Yeah, we should have bought a seat for her. Should have put her in a car seat, strapped her in, and then threw on some headphones and said, fuck all y'all. And just be done with it. But no, we decided to put her in her lap. She was just squirmy, squirmy, wormy, wormy the whole time. But she handled herself fairly well. Meanwhile, I'm looking into the seat in front of her. And this guy, middle-aged, he's got a little salt and pepper. He's probably older than me by a few years. And I see him texting. And it's like, I can't help but, you, you know, you see the person texting. You're trying to gauge what people are feeling around you when you have a baby. Hey, I don't want to fly with the baby. It's my daughter. I love her to death. I don't want to fly with her. I have to. And this guy gets on his phone. I see him text and I go, oh boy, here we go. And of course, the text is, of course, I'm sitting in front of a baby who is already hitting my head. WTF. A fucking baby. I think he might have thrown in an F word there. And it's just like, dude, do you have kids? Have you flown with your own kids before? Obviously not, because you'd be mortified to send that text. You would feel for me and my wife, knowing that we have to deal with uh, uh, slime, <laughs> just a bowl of slime and jello slipping through our fingers every two seconds, dropping stuff on the floor. I mean, we're through everything. The kitchen sink at this chick. Books, toys, food. We tried everything. And she actually handled herself fairly well, all things considered. I mean, it's a two-hour flight. But, you know, I think she did well. If I had to rate it, if I had to give it a grade, B-. minus. She's doing better than average. She wasn't screaming the entire time. She wasn't kicking and hitting your seat the entire time. She's just, you know, she's on. She's electrified. Got tons of energy out the ass. She's got to do something with that energy. So looking for a little more understanding out of you, guy in front of her, who, you know, and I can understand if it's a teenager, hasn't been through life, doesn't have any experience, but dude, you got some grays up on that head. I can see your face. You got some rinks. I can see some crow's feet up in there. You got to know we're trying our best here. We're not, we're not happy about what's happening. <sighs> Spirit Airlines. So we got down there Friday night, and we make the drive out to the house, the new house, which in the photos, they look the house looks glorious. Looks like a little mini castle. And it's got the mother-in-law suite, little cottage in the back left. It's got a pool in the backyard. It's beautiful. Can't really see what's around it. And when we're driving out there, it's a 40-minute to an hour drive because... You're on back roads. There is no highway to this place. You're in a single lane road. Your car's barely fitting in the lane. You're like, oh, this is a head-on collision waiting to happen. This is how I go? Cool. In the back country of South Carolina. But no, you, you're driving for 40 minutes to an hour, and it's all tobacco fields and soybean fields. And I asked my mom, I go, because my mom picked us up. She's driving us. And I'm like, Mom, Soybean fields? Didn't know that was a thing here in the States. When you hear soybean, my mind goes to edamame. My mind goes to Japanese culture, China, Japan, over there. Like, to me, that's where soybeans come from. I'm dumb. I'm not, I never claimed to be smart. 
She goes, yeah, they just, uh, I don't know. I was like, well, I know, like, soy kind of, like, hit its stride, started to peak in the maybe the late 80s, 90s, especially in the 2000s, started to take off. We got soy milk. got soy everything. Soy, soy, soy. Apparently, it makes you grow bitch tits. I still consume it because I'm an idiot. She can't tell me. That, so soybean fields have been around forever, and they, what do they do with it? No one can tell me. That's nuts. So we're driving. Uh, if you have any, <laughs> if you have any indication, any hint, if you have any knowledge of what happened to soybeans prior to the '80s, love to know. Is there like a stockpile somewhere I don't know about where we're feeding it to to who? The cows? The cattle? Is that how the cows they get the they get the the, the good milk, that Gucci milk? From the soybean? I don't know. We get to the house, and of course, it's beautiful. But it is surrounded. I mean, it's a whole lot of land, not a lot of neighbors. Which kind of is my dream world. Kind of like my dream home. Because it's like, you know what? I I like to connect with people. I like to go to parties, like house parties. I used to like bars. You know, I like uh, having a house party. A lot of people around me and, and mingling and whatnot. Would be nice to just be secluded. And I'm sure I would go criminally insane and pull like The Shining and just go ape shit on my family after a month or so. But for that couple of days, for that week, it seemed like paradise. Just like nothing around you. You can blast your music, your movies. And we did. My brother in law has the surround system hooked up and we watched movies full tilt. And it was. <laughs> It shook my rib cage to the core, but just a beautiful area. And I mean, there there is a neighbor down the street in a trailer. Kind of an interesting situation down the street. Okay, kind of like in you know we had, uh, you know they eventually had some people over, but and they said, so what do you what do you think of your sister's new digs? And I said, uh, you know, I like it, but it seems like the locale for a horror movie. Like, nighttime starts to creep in. All of a sudden, there's a scarecrow in the field you didn't see before. And then there's little shadowy figures just creeping through the little stalks of corn in the soybean field. And you're like, oh, well, this is how I go. The locals don't like the Yankees coming down from the north. And now they're here to take us out. You know, and, and, and you know, it ex- explains why my brother-in-law and my and my f- uh, his father are just loaded to the gills with guns. It's like, you know, you're kind of on your own on here. It'll take the cops five decades to get to you. The military doesn't even know this place exists. So you got to defend yourself. I get it. So Friday night, we have a lovely dinner. We sit down for some movie action. We watch John Wick 3. Parabellum, I believe it was called. Now, I was a little toasty little toasted when I was watching this, and I know that they actually describe what parabellum means. I think it means in order to achieve peace, you must be prepared for war. Something to that effect. Pretty badass, pretty cool. What I understand is, and this is because I I, I tend to tune out here and there during John Wick, because it is a little hypnotic. But I swear, John Wick 2, did it not end with him just 
surrounded by thousands of assassins, trained assassins, professional assassins. You're telling me he's dodging, I mean, he's not Neo from the Matrix, okay? He's not dodging 4,000 bullets and knives and grenades and weaponry. Was that a dream? Did I dream that? Wasn't he on a horse and he was surrounded? And we're like, that's it for old John Wick. Adios. No. He's, I guess he escaped that or that was a dream or I don't know. Maybe I missed that. I don't know. But it was, you know, classic John Wick movie. I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure there's a reason behind this, but the, the only thing that really sticks with me with John Wick is the fact that he expounds a lot of bullets on enemies. <laughs> Each guy he shoots gets no less than five bullets. It's usually pop in the head, pop in the heart, pop in the heart, pop in the head, and then maybe I'll go for like the the trapezius. Like there's some kind of major artery or something like between the head and the neck, and he's gonna like sever that. It's just like John, I think he's dead. Don't quote me, but I'm not putting a not 100% seal of approval on it, but like if I had to guess, he's probably dead. He's got no eyeballs left, and his heart is in a million pieces on the floor, so I think you got him, John. Of course, uh, spoiler, if you haven't seen John Wick 3, because, I mean, my brother-in-law, I'm not going to rat him out, but we've, we get to see John Wick 3 before other people. Not going to rat him out. Not going to tell you how, but we get to see it before other people. I do not believe it's available to buy or rent yet. I don't think so. It could be wrong. But spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, jump to the next section. If you have the ending, so I'm supposed to, like, he gets, and then he, you know, he gets, and then he, over the, and then he goes, ding, 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 all the way down, and he's and not, he's fine. You know, if you can't, if you're not watching the video, if you're listening in the audio version, he gets pumped in the chest a few times over the building, hits every single like awning. I believe that's what it's called. An awning, the little things, the little, you know, and you just, it's like a cartoon, like Bugs Bunny, just like, like Homer Simpson falling down the cliff. Just like, oh, 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 that's what John Wick did. And it like fucking 10 story building and just ding, 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 like a ping pong ball, like an arcade game pinball machine. He just pinballs his way all the way down to the ground. And we're like, okay, well, that's one hell of a way to end the trilogy. Very John Wick of you, Mr. Wick. And uh, of course, we find out that uh, we can't find the body. So hopefully, we're getting John Wick through 17 coming out in the next. Uh, Every year for the next uh, decade, that'd be sweet. Someone has to take the crown from Fast and the Furious. I don't want that on our on our ledger, you know, in our lifetime for that to be like the most franchised movie, most movies in a franchise. No, John Wick's coming for that ass. It would be John Wick in space, you know, John Wick underwater, you know, John Wick is transitioning, you know, that kind of thing. Speaking of which, uh, Matrix 4 got greenlit, so that's pretty cool. Um, I didn't read any of the details about the plot, but uh, Keanu's back as Neo, and Carrie Ann Moss will be back. 
it gives me a good reason to rewatch two and three because I kind of forget what happened there. It's been a while, but uh, I assume, and you know, that's how sequels. I feel like that's how sequels should go, for the most part. There are some sequels that are produced, and it's like that's way too quick, man. You made that decision when you saw the box office returns. You just see cash. It's a cash grab. Give some time to breathe. Give some time for your fans to feed you what they want to see so you can use that, you know, for your own benefit. So Matrix 4, I don't know when that's coming out, but um, sign me up for sure. I don't know if it's going to be like, you know, <laughs> Neo and Trinity are like settled in their relationship now or maybe they got married and divorced and they have a kid and it's like, you know, the kid is is rebellious and is not on board with, like, everything that, or Neo has been corrupted, and, you know, there's a whole lot of ways they can go with it, so pretty pumped for that. So it was Friday night. Um, I had a, a Natter Day. Natural Light has something called Natter Day, which is kind of like their response to Bud Light Lime, which makes Bud Light Lime look like a crock of shit. Looks, like, so lame. Natter Day is like strawberry lemonade. It tastes so good. And you're like, this is not even natural light. How's this? I could have had a million of those for sure. Um, so that's Friday night. Saturday, we had uh, the weather still sucked. Oh, Friday, we put together a grill. My brother-in-law is not subtle. I'm kind of modest. I got a shitty Ford Fusion in the in the driveway. It breaks down every other week. It looks like crap. It can't even accelerate. Um, pretty sure it's a death trap. It's a lemon. Life gives you lemons, and I don't know. I don't. I don't even know how to make lemonade. So that's where I'm at. Meanwhile, he's got a power wagon. It's like a pickup truck, and it literally says uh, it's a monster truck. Like, what are you doing with a monster truck, dude? Although, you know, when the attack happens, I feel like that's how he lives his life. Is like, okay, we're obviously going to get attacked at some point by either zombies or Mexicans or someone. <laughs> someone who doesn't want us around in mass numbers. I'm going to need a lot of arsenal. I'm going to need an arsenal, artillery, and I'm going to need a power wagon, monster truck. And in case you wondered, like... The the truck itself is huge, huge. Like, you'll notice it. It's not flying under anyone's radar. And yet, it says on the side of it, power wagon. Like, okay, <laughs> we get it, dude. <laughs> so, of course, when he gets a grill and he needs to put it together, he gets, like, this next-level grill. I mean, I have a Weber. It does the trick. It's propane. Just throw the shit on cook it, and it's done. This is like it's got wood pellets on the side. It's got a sear station on the right. It's got that old-timey whistle pipe from the 1930s, you know, like when factory workers get off and they pull the, they pull the cord on the pipe, on the, the whistle, and it's just like, hoo, hoo, like that thing on the back of the smoker. It's got like two thermometers that you stick into the meat. You can adjust that. You can monitor that. Insane, dude. So I helped him put it together, which means he kind of put it together, and I just like pointed and said, yeah, right there, that looks good. I'm kind of like the foreman on this little project. And it was good, because Saturday we grilled, and it was good. 
He bought these like two inch thick steaks. The guy at the meat shop is like, are you serious right now? Who are you feeding? A giant? Who are you feeding with this meat? A creature? Sasquatch? And uh, that was good. I, I, I'm a member of the Clean Plate Club, so I like crushed mine. And uh, surprisingly, it was like uh, I finished everything. I was good to go. And my brother-in-law didn't. And it was like he actually, I think he actually got a little... He was like, oh, man, he got a little down on himself. He's like, I got the power wagon. I got the pellet grill. I got the sweet house. I got the pool, weapons. Can't finish my steak. <laughs> Dude, I'm just fat. It's not like <laughs> I'd rather have, like, you know, the ability to not grow hair like you and not be an ape and also not eat this much and be like a cow and have four stomachs. Like I'd rather, you know, don't worry about it. Don't feel like less of a man because you can't finish this gigantic hunk of meat. Anyway, Saturday was the fantasy football draft with a couple of buddies from college and no one wants to hear about your fantasy football team. No one, but it stinks when you are not in the room. Like that's basically that's what fantasy football has become. It's just a way to reunite it's a reunion. It's like a college reunion, high school reunion every year. Because you, you, everyone moves away. They have their families, blah, blah, blah. You don't get to see each other. That's your re reunion time. That's the only reason I still play fantasy football. Because you want to see people you haven't seen in a, in a while. And you want to party like it's 1999, essentially. Fuck fantasy football. I don't care about it anymore. I don't care about winning. It is a complete waste of money. In fact, let's just do away with fantasy football teams. Throw all the money we would spend on fantasy football teams into sick reunions every year let's just do that prefer that much more than just seeing my team shit the bed every year and just regret every pick that i've ever made in the draft but when you're not there in the room as i was i was you know so far away and no one hooked up a skype and no one facetimed it was just like i might as well be dead i might as well be on another uh another planet it stinks because you don't know what's going on. You're texting, did we start? When do we start? Have we started yet? And of course, I was not able to text because I'm in the middle of bumfuck South Carolina that has no reception. And it, it went all right. It went fine. Luckily, the weather sucked because like that would have been horrible. I you know, I made this trip haphazardly, okay? My fantasy football commissioner, the commish, he was like, hey, listen, this is the date. Lock it in. Lock it up. Don't do anything else that weekend. And of course, I didn't put it in my calendar. I felt bad about not going down to see my sister for 4th of July when we should have because I lost my stupid job. And so when she was like, this weekend works, I was just like, done. Bought it. Didn't even think twice. And then, of course, the next, as soon as I bought it, like two days after, they were like, so looking forward to seeing everyone at the fantasy football draft. And I was just like, son of a bitch. Like, I'm down there. You can't auto-draft. I'm down there to see my family. I can't be auto-drafting. I'm going to end up with five kickers. Luckily, the weather stunk. Because the weather was awesome, and I'm inside, and I'm, like, trying to figure out how to work technology while the, while the sun's giving us life. and Everyone's having fun in the pool. Uh, that would have been the worst. Luckily, the weather sucked. <laughs> so we all stayed inside, and I was able to somewhat enjoy my time with the family. But Saturday night, after that, 
amazing steak dinner, two inches. Uh, watched the live action Aladdin remake with Will Smith and man, movies are so much better with surround sound. Some uh, when they when when they when they went into Arabian Nights, the song Arabian Nights with the surround sound. My eleven month old, almost one year old daughter, who not great with the attention span, kind of all over the place, as I mentioned before. You know, there are times we, 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 there are sometimes we're like, it's good that she's not attached to the screen. Okay. She's not, I mean, she's kind of obsessed with, she sees my iPhone, she wants it big time. But she's not, like, she's not glued to a screen at all times, which is good. She's active. That's how it's supposed to be, I think. I don't know. You know what? I'm not going to tell you how to parent. Do whatever you want with your kid. Just don't raise a murderer or a criminal. So there are times that we'll, we'll put on Friends or The Sopranos, and we've watched enough of those two shows that the theme song comes on, she starts to, to bounce. She starts to dance a little bit, you know, get, get her groove on. You know, and, and for about a minute, and then she's like, oh, the song's over, I'm going to go back to playing. Dude, surround sound? And the screen that this my brother-in-law has, my sister have, is like dwarfs my screen. She was locked in and she was moving and a shaking and a grooving and it was like a sight to behold arabian nights just pumping directly into her skull and she was lapping it up now as an adult i was like you know i'm, I'm kind of against all this like why if it's not broke don't fix it why are you remaking shit that's also always a classic don't touch it like it would be, come up with something else Disney, come on. But, I mean, they obviously made the right move. They're, they're raking cash. Of course, they couldn't have enough cash to make the Spider-Man thing work out with Sony. What the F, dude? And so, and everyone's down on Sony. I haven't read any of the details, but I know Sony's getting all the heat on this one. It's like, come on, Sony. Just let go. Just give it to Disney. What do you care it's like, well, we're, Sony's like, well, we're not Disney. We don't have all of Marvel. We have this one character, and we're going to hang on to it for dear life. Is anyone going to blame Disney on this one? Disney, you've got cash falling out of every pore of your body. Just, like, throw some more cash at it and give us the Spider-Man that has actually worked, I guess. I don't know. Um, I kind of was out on Spider-Man after Spider-Man 3 in 2007. I was just like, oh, man, they really screwed the pooch on that one, and the guy's not going to come back, and it's like, let's just take a breather. Instead, they just gave us more Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man, don't get me wrong, but it's like I haven't watched the last two solo ones. Apparently, those like are better than the originals. Meanwhile, the original, the 2002 one came on, and I was like dialed in. I don't know. But yes, the live action Aladdin remake. I wasn't a big fan of the guy that got to play Jafar. Like you see Jafar in the animated 1992 version. And it's like that is a bad guy. That is a villain. And he is he's like you can just look at him. and You know, that's the bad guy. This one was just like, eh, it's a guy. He he tends to like you can, if you're watching the video, you can see what I'm talking about. But like. Audio version, you're going to have to use your madge on this one. He uses 
he really opens his mouth like, I'm going to get you a Latin. And it's like, oh, okay. All right. So that's how you're going to play this part. I don't know. I wasn't on board with it. I thought the guy who played Aladdin, awesome. Very cool. Uh, the guy that they, I mean, the, the woman that they got to play Jasmine. All right. She had like a little solo number that they tried to mix in that was original. And I was like, I don't know if I'm feeling this. I was, I, I tend to get really caught up in it. And I wasn't even stoned this time. This usually only happens when I smoke up. But like when you watch the movie and you're like, that's CGI. I can't get my mind off of it. It's just like, that's CGI. That's green screen. That's CGI. That's CGI. That's CGI. That's CGI. I just can't pay attention to the story because I'm just looking at the CGI and I'm like, this is all CGI. Is any of this real? why why you know why why do i get upset at that but you know entertaining i know that when it for the trailer first hit uh you know will smith people were like i don't know if i feel this will smith is the genie um but he pulled it off as always i mean it's will smith i mean the, the it, it kind of it's it's very disorienting at first it was very discombobulated the first time he comes on screen for the first few times he comes on screen you're just like did they just like it, feel, it feels like his actual face is trying to keep up with the cgi you know like they plastered his face on this cgi character and it, and the face is trying to keep up with the character because the character is like all over the place but yeah i mean you know you got nothing else to do you got the kids are looking to get entertained they're throwing on the aladdin remake I mean, I'm, I guess I'm more interested in the, I didn't see the Lion, the Lion King live action, but I heard that it did not get uh, reviewed well. And now they get the little, little mermaid coming out live action. It's like, Jesus, Disney, what's, are you hard up the, are you in debt? Are you, do you have a gambling problem? Like what's with smashing all these live action movies <laughs> into such a short time period? Just get, let it breathe. Give it some air. Yeah, so that was Saturday night. And then Sunday, the sun came out, our last day there. Hey, why didn't you go for longer? Why didn't you go for a week? Why didn't you go for blah, blah, blah? I didn't know. You know, my wife's at a new job. She doesn't know what kind of, she doesn't really have vacation time yet. Just yet, I don't. I didn't know if I was going to have a job at that point and whether the new job would be cool with me. It's like taking days off right off the bat. So we only scheduled a weekend. It sucks, but you do what you got to do. So Sunday was the day we were supposed to leave, 535 flight. And the sun comes out, and we're like, all right, we got to make the most of this. So went out in the pool, did our thing, had a nice relaxing lunch, packed the bags, and we headed to the airport. And, I'm, and we're dreading every second of this because we're like, okay, well, at least when the flight down here was kind of like afternoonish, you know, it was maybe she'll nap on the flight. The, the flight coming back, she already went through her two naps, the, the baby daughter. And now it's like, oh boy, <laughs> like the flight back, it's Sunday. People are probably hungover. They're all pissed off. You know, at least the Friday flight, people are excited. Like, huh, the weekend, motherfucker, yeah, yeah. Like, they can't wait, and they're happy, and they're going to let some shit sit slide. Like, they're gonna, it's okay. The baby, you know what? I don't care because it's the weekend, baby. Sunday, it's like the weekend's over. I got work tomorrow. 
Like, I don't need a baby crying. I want to cry. So we get there. We find out, oh, the flight's been delayed a couple hours. Nothing like hanging out at the airport for three-plus hours for your flight. So we're waiting there, waiting there. Baby's kind of holding her own. All of a sudden, I have the, uh, the, you know, my wife's on the phone, and I'm like, you know what? Baby's getting a little antsy. So I'm going to take her and do a little stroll. And we do this from time to time. Wherever we are, if we're ever in a public place and there's room to roam, we're going to roam. Because that's how the baby <laughs> calms itself. It's like, okay, I see all this. I need to ingest this into my eyeballs ASAP. And it's like, all right, let's go for it. Take the baby in my arm, walk down. We're to the furthest gate. Okay, we're on the west wing, if you want, like all the way down at the end. So it's like, pick her up, take her all the way down back to the, where um, we came up. I'm walking towards the other end of the airport because I'm like, I'm going to cover every square inch of this motherfucker. Cause, so this baby is like, all right, I'm bored now. I'll go to bed. I'm, I'm on the other side of the airport, and all I hear is flight 792 from Myrtle Beach to Newark, New Jersey has been canceled. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I turn around, and there is just a stampede of people. Just angry, irritated, frustrated travelers and, and just like glued together in one glob, rushing to the front desk, ticket, place, check-in to hammer out, you know, what, what next? What do we do now? And I'm like, oh, yeah, we're screwed because <laughs> I'm on the other side of the airport and little Bree Bree decided to take a little poo-poo in her diapy. So now we got to take that take care of that so i'm like all right well <laughs> we're uh we're in this for the long run spirit there is a reason spirit airlines has been voted the worst in the world multiple years in a row and it's because of situations like this you've canceled the flight we pick up the phone because we're not going to wait in line for two to three hours to talk to the one agent you have behind the counter. When you cancel a flight, stock up your customer service. That's when you need your customer. And I know it's a Sunday. Church and all. I get it. Chick-fil-A, shut down. I get it. But you need to stock up on people to talk to in a situation like this. Not, not spirit. They're like, um, your flight's canceled. Bye. Like, we're just going to disappear. Least helpful airline in the world. The line was like so long, not moving. We tried calling the customer service line, and they're like, um, yeah, just like go online. <laughs> go to our website and manage your travel. I log in to the Spirit website. There is no manage travel link anywhere. And it still says delayed online. And I know no one wants to hear about uh, air, airline horror stories. I'll just say, I'm just trying to get across to you the lack of fucking help. You tell me to go online, manage travel. There is no manage travel section. I log in, I go to my trips, and, it's, and it still says delayed online. You haven't updated that shit. And then I get a text and an email. And the email and the text say, hey, shit's canceled. Sorry, bro. And it's like, manage, go to manage travel at spirit.com. Click the link. It takes me to the homepage. Dude. 
just be more helpful. Be more helpful. And so my wife's panicking, freaking out. She keeps saying, I'm about to cry, I'm about to cry. I'm like, I don't, you start to cry, the baby starts to cry, I'm going to start to cry. We can't have everyone crying. We can't have that in an airport. So we're trying to, and, and so here's the kicker. They're like, oh, she's like, just book another flight through Spirit. Just book another flight online, I don't care. So I'm like, okay, Monday, zero flights. I mean, what? The next flight is Tuesday night. Tuesday night. It's Sunday night. So I'm like, you know, my sister, I'm like, hey, <laughs> can we stay at your place? And she's like, hey, uh, no. Yeah, I mean, she didn't say no, but she was very polite. But you could tell it was like, eh, eh, no. So my mom, who does live in the Myrtle Beach area, very closer to the airport, stay at her place and then it's like well we can pay for a flight from charleston which is two or three hours away by car not by magic carpet aladdin and it's like that flight leaves at 6 10 on monday night so we gotta drive two to three hours we gotta be there two to three hours before the flight so we're looking at four to six hours of just like trying to maintain composure and then Hmm. doesn't go to Newark, it goes to JFK. So that's another two hours from JFK to Newark and then another hour. You, you get it. It's a lot of hours on the docket. So eventually, we're like, are we going to do this? Yeah, we're going to do this. We decide to rent a car. <laughs> rent a car and drive from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina to Newark, New Jersey. Now, if you haul ass and you don't stop from the moment you get on the road and there's no traffic, hmm, you're looking at maybe 10 hours, start to finish door to door. We didn't get, we got the rental car around 9.30ish. We didn't get on the, the road to about 10.30, 11 o'clock. By the way, Chick-fil-A, you're closed on Sunday, and then you stop serving breakfast before 11? What? There's a reason that Popeye's has overtaken you as the number one chicken, fried chicken sandwich. I don't know what I'm talking about. I've never actually, I've never actually had Popeye's. I think I might have had their popcorn shrimp, popcorn chicken, something like that once in a blue moon a while ago. But step up your game, Chick-fil-A. And why do you have a person waiting out there with a tablet? No. That person, it's like a hundred degrees there. That's you're liable. I'm pretty sure that's not humane. So we did the drive in about I want to say twelve hours. Not bad with the baby. I mean, the baby had little minor freakouts here and there. We did two or three stops. You know, one to stretch the legs, one to get gas, one to get food. And we watched, well, I didn't watch, I was driving, but we played Tayo, the friendly bus, nonstop. I went to bed that night. We didn't get back here until probably midnight. And I couldn't get it out of my head. There were no other thoughts in my head except Tayo, the friendly bus. Tayo, 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 Tayo. He's a friendly little bus. 
speeding up, slowing down. Tayo always loves to run. Tayo, 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 Tayo. He's a friendly little bus. Speeding up, slowing down. Tayo always likes to have fun. It goes on. I don't know the rest of it because my, my mind starts to melt at that point. Nonstop Tayo for, tw- for 12 hours. And I got to say this. I've heard enough Tayo. I haven't watched it, but I've heard enough Tayo to know that I don't think it should be called Tayo the Friendly Little Bus because Tayo is like a secondary character. There's Donnie and there's all these other characters that they're introducing left and right. And it's like, where's Tayo in all this? I mean, he's the titular character and he's like nowhere to be found. It's also so Canadian. Apparently it's South Korean and maybe it's dubbed by Canadians, but like every five seconds it's, oh, sorry, sorry, Tayo, sorry. Like they're just apologizing left and right. It's like, this is so Canadian. So Canuckish. And like, it was a long haul. <laughs> a very long haul. And I love that when, you know, Sunday night when my mom picks us up. My mom is 70 plus years old. Not as good a driver as she used to be. I'll say that. Because we go to the, we go to Kroger's, we go to the like, grocery store just to pick up some things here and there for the road trip, and she's like, "Oh, I'm in the wrong lane." So she tries to she stops suddenly and backs up without looking at all. And of course, I I look behind us and there's a there's like an SUV or like a, some kind of jeep just like hauling ass backwards to, to not get, you know, hit, like reverse butt fucked. And she pulls into the handicapped spot because she is handicapped, and this guy pulls around. And stops next to us in the middle of a road, the the main road right in front of Kroger's, the supermarket. And he's staring my mother down. I'm thinking to myself, is this what I'm looking forward to in my 40s? I'm almost 40. Is this this the 40s? Really? I'm, I'm sitting on a plane and I'm bitching about a baby behind me? Or I'm in a car and an elderly woman? Sorry, Ma, you are a senior citizen backs up because whatever she's trying to pull into a spot and you're going to pull around and you're going to give us the death stare dude my mom's not even looking at you but you do see there's a seven-year-old woman in the seat and you don't see that there's a baby in the back and my wife and me in the passenger seat and i'm gonna death stare you back dude because like dude what do you what, what do you what what's your goal here to make us feel bad, my mom don't give a shit. So there's that. But like, what's the end game here? You want me to get out of the car and then you're going to fight me in front of all these people and you're going to win and everyone's going to cheer and put you on their shoulders and give you a trophy and a medal and like induct you into the badass tough guy hall of fame. What are you envisioning right now? Do you want an apology? We're sorry. It was a mistake. <laughs> what the actual fuck? It, it, Okay. All right. Yeah. So that was my weekend. (laughs) Monday, just epic road trip. 12 hours, which I was, I was actually fine with. I'd do it again. But you don't realize the toll it takes on your body. I mean, you're, you're just sitting there 
for 12 hours you figure all right whatever but it is a form of jet lag like yesterday tuesday it's why the it's why the show is not out this is currently wednesday you know i hate to get all time jumpy on you but like yesterday was tuesday usually i record on tuesday publish wednesday i didn't have any gas in the motherfucking tank yesterday couldn't even i'm, I'm shocked i woke up and I was just in a foul mood all day. And that's probably a, the, the time when you do want to record something like this is when you're foul. <sighs> but part of me is glad I didn't because I get to get an extra day of content to pour through. So, yeah, as far as TV goes, um, didn't get to watch a lot of adult TV <laughs> this weekend. It was a lot of... Uh, Blaze and the Monster Machines. And, uh, Blippy. Which, uh, you know, and Paw Patrol. Which I get Paw Patrol and I get Blaze and the Monster Machines, which seems like a Cars knockoff, if I'm being honest. Blippy is just a guy, just a white guy in suspenders and a bow tie and funky glasses and a funky hat. And it's and and my sister of course because you know there's nothing but advice coming at me right now when you're unemployed and you're putting out a shitty show like this one you're just getting advice left and right oh you know what you should do oh what should i do and i know people are trying to help i get it but my sister's like you should do what blippy does yeah okay maybe i'm good with kids but i'm not no i'm not dressing up like that (laughs) That guy probably has a serious cocaine problem, allegedly. I don't know. Do I need to throw that on there? But like, if you if you become popular, like this, and and my sister was saying that he's gotten some negative feedback because of stuff he's done in his past. Can you imagine me getting popular? All the the skeletons that have come out of my closet. No thanks. I'd rather just give you all my skeletons now in the closet and not become popular or rich or famous or any of that. No thanks. But this blippy guy. Like, it's just the way it's shot. And it's like, it's always just him. There's no one else. Like, you're in an abandoned go-kart place. Where is everyone? And why are you talking to my kids, man? (laughs) That's the other thing. Like, at least Blue's Clues, it's like, okay, it's kind of a youngish guy. It's a little weird, but he's very, like, you know, he's interacting with these animated figures on the screen and this little puppy dog and blah, blah, blah. Blippi's just blippy, dude. There's just Blippy. And he's in, in like an abandoned place talking to your kids. <laughs> it just seems, I don't know. The kids loved it, but it's like, I can see why kidnappings happen and abductions because of shit like this. He was in an abandoned playground, like after hours. And he's just going around like playing with all this stuff. And I'm like, don't you have better shit to do, my man? I don't know. Children's programming. <laughs> well, YouTube kids is like, the wild wild west for sure but uh it's i feel like i could make a a killing just doing stuff for kids kids entertainment toys and all that jazz he's just gonna be like really exaggerated and like always like wide-eyed and like really what wow sorry like that's all it is (laughs) <laughs> I can feel like I could just make a YouTube. My mom's like, you should just make a YouTube channel like that. I'm like, all right, yeah, yeah, sure, mom. Let me just do that. 
I don't even want like I I would not feel good about my that I'm already in a bad place right now in terms of depression. Like I don't need that on my conscience. Like hey, I'm making millions off of making stupid goofy faces for kids. No thanks. All right, moving on. Uh, TV. I didn't. Uh, so I just said I didn't really watch anything except children's shows all weekend. Um, I did get to catch Hard Knocks just now. Um, that Antonio Brown helmet saga is just. I mean, I I kind of get it, dude. When I, whenever I, I believe it or not, I played football, and if they give you a helmet that doesn't fit. You don't like how it feels on your body. Or they give you, like, shoulder pads were big for me because as a, as a quarterback, um, you need to be mobile, flexible. You need, you know, to be able to throw the ball without feeling antsy pants. You know, there was one season where I watched Eli Manning literally shrug his shoulders after every freaking throw. He'd throw it and just go and do this, like, weird thing with his shoulders. And it's like, are you okay in those pads, dude? But, you know, you need the right equipment. You need to feel good about your equipment. Anything feels off, it's going to bother you. It's going to get in your head. And you can't concentrate on what you're doing, at the task at hand. So I get it. He wants the helmet that feels best on his head. At the same time, you're a millionaire. The Raiders are a multi-million, billion-dollar organization. Someone just create, custom design a friggin' helmet for this guy. Get your top scientists on it and just make sure it's up to code and get them back on the field. I don't understand how this is dragging out for multiple days. This is like a one-day problem. Like, hey, here are the specs. Here's what we need to do. Get it done. I mean, the fact that he's, I mean, going to miss, miss games. There's no way he's going to miss games about th- for this. That's just outrageous. Like, find a way. It's 2019. It's not like... You know, we're short. It's not the war. We're not short on metal and aluminum and resources. You know, like it's it's 2019. Let's go. We're 3D printing shit for crying out loud. There's a 3D printed house I just saw online. 3D print a freaking helmet that is legal. John Gruden. I love how they're profiling. Don't and hard knocks. Why do you make me care about these guys that aren't going to make the team? Stop making me care. I don't want to care about these guys. Come on. I got enough to care about in a day. I don't want more guys. Like this Waller guy, Derek Waller, who's a tight end. I guess he was just like on all kinds of painkillers and drugs when he was with the Ravens, which I cannot imagine functioning, like just doing normal everyday shit on opiates and painkillers. Like all I do is I just post up on the couch and watch Breaking Bad. But this guy is playing professional football on painkillers and opiates and all this other shit, cocaine. And uh, and now he's clean. I think he's been sober like a year or two now, and he's doing well. But it's like they're talking him up like he's the next fucking Gronkowski. Is he? I don't think so. And this other hometown kid from Alameda, Doss or whatever they keep on, like, uh, fleeting episode in episode out he's not even gonna make the final cut and if he even if he does it's like okay it's a cool story ish but like i don't know it feels like they're reaching sometimes of course frank caliendo's impression of john gruden will always get me it's always so good that impression and the john madden impression um 
And it's it's sad that he has to ask, do, do people know John Madden? There's a fucking video game named after him, and we have to ask if people know John Madden. Like, there are people who play that video game and just think Madden is just what you call NFL video games. There's not based on a person. Insane. Other TV news, uh, Slate.com released a, a listicle, 25 most important characters of the 20, past 25 years. Kind of just like all over the place, to be honest. Um, and the only reason I really bring this up is because, all right, well, I'll, I'll tease it. There's a character from a certain show I've been watching who's at number one. This is Slate, so they got to be all weird about it, but The Rock was at number 19. Makes sense. Um, Kumar from Harold and Kumar was at 14, a bit high. And the fact that he was above the rock is pretty interesting. Jar Jar Binks is at six. I mean, that's all you got to know about this list. But the number one most important character of the past 25 years. Now, this is TV, movies, books. I guess fictional characters. I mean, The Rock, I don't know, uh, you know, blurs the lines a little bit there. The number one most important character, Carmela Soprano. Neil, you done did it again. You done. <laughs> My wife is all about Carmela. And if you watched last week's episode, you know, it's hard for me to see her as this important character. It's just, it's tough. And, and the, the article mentions, the listicle mentions, you know, that Carmela pretty much set the tone and is the, the barometer, the bar for which other character wives are measured. Skylar White from Breaking Bad, Betty Draper from Mad Men. She's the kind of the, the mold. And all these other characters are trying to fit that mold. Um... They say that she's the immaculate, the consummate, the eternal blonde wife, one of the finest performances in history applied to one of the best characters ever conceived. I don't know about that shit. <laughs> I mean, I'm only in season four. We're in the second half of season four. We haven't really finished season four yet. And uh, I don't know. It's probably because I'm just a, a dude. Uh, you know, but it's... I understand, you know, she's she's kind of having to balance the fact that her husband is like the super villain who's just straight up you know, killing people left and right is hiding money from her and her family. She's worried about the future, worried about the kids, worried, worried, worried. And yet still goes to church and donates money and all the, and looks so pristine and immaculate with her hair and her makeup and her clothes and all this stuff. And it's just, I don't know. Doesn't really move the needle. I mean, you want to talk about how horseshit this listicle is? Something called Milkshake Duck was at 22. The fuck is that? <laughs> milkshake Duck. It's, it's so nuts to me that stuff like that makes lists. And it, it like, you know, uh, it, I don't know. Saved by the Bell premiered 30 years ago. It feels like it's longer than that. Like, you're telling me that August 90, 1989 is when Saved by the Bell premiered? It feels like that's too late in the 80s. I feel like I was watching that in 87, 88, but I guess I'm way off on that. Um, of course, you know, Funny or Die has a series um, that basically just crucifies Zach Morris for all his transgressions 
you know, everything that he did on the show, apparently, because he did a lot of fucked up shit. And we've always viewed Zach as like the lovable little scamp. He's just a troublemaker, but apparently he did some really foul shit. And Funny or Die has a whole series about it that's supposed to be really popular. And I think I watched one episode and I was just like, okay, I get it. Like, is this the gag? Um, and of course, uh, in Kelly Kapowski, dude, I was like, I wasn't even nine years old yet when this debuted. So I was eight going on nine, but that's right around the time. If you're a dude where it's like the wheels are in motion. Okay. Starting to see women or, you know, the people that you're attracted to, you start to see them differently. It's a whole new ball game at eight or nine. You start to do stuff in the shower. Um, but Kelly Kapowski, yeah, I think that had to be one of my first crushes. I don't want to say my first because there was like a, I forget what movie I, I watched. It was like one of those bikini car wash movies. And I was like, whoa, okay. That was the nineties. I think there was a wedding when I was like six, might've been my uncle's wedding where it was like, I danced with a, a, a woman with uh, who was well endowed. I'll just, I'll leave it there. You know what? I'll leave it there. But that's the, that was the beginning of the end for me. <laughs> a lot of bad decisions made all in the, all for the sake of finding a lifelong partner, which I eventually did. So it all worked out, but like, whoo, what a long road to hoe. <laughs> that's TV talk. Apparently, uh, movies. We already talked about the Spider-Man thing. I mean, that sucks. You know, um, I don't know. It's like you, all the blame's going on Sony, but it's like Disney could probably, I mean, Sony is, it, it's like their last dying gasp. So Sony's not going to give up. So Disney might as well cave, especially since considering the success of the, the last two Spider-Mans. Um, we talked about Matrix 4, Bond 25. So this is the 20, I guess the 25th movie in the Bond franchise. Uh, it'll, it finally has a new title or an official title, No Time to Die. And it kind of harkens back to the older, old school Bonds, like from the 90s and 80s and the 70s where it's live and let die and tomorrow never dies. And it's kind of harking back to that time frame. And I'm on board um, because quantum solace doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> it's just like, uh, what? Like I, you know, just saying the word quantum and I'm like, I'm out. I, I immediately, I'm not going to be able to grasp what's going on. And of course people are like, Mad online, and someone already wrote an article about like, oh, this new title is you know is getting away from what made the new um line of Bond movies so different and unique, and it's just like, you know what? Maybe you don't fuck with the recipe, man. You know, it's like KFC original recipe still hits the the target. So like, why are you gonna you know? And I understand that they wanted to go a little bit different with Daniel Craig's James Bond. They have. But like sometimes you just want to get back to what feels right. So I'm fine with the title. I think it's no time to die. You know? All right, nice. Uh Tracy Morgan will join the cast of Coming to America too. I didn't really mention this when when it when it was making headlines, but Coming to America too, dude. That's a sequel I'm on board with, for sure. 
uh, you know, if you get Eddie Murphy back in the mix with Arsenio Hall, I mean, like, you can't go wrong there. And, of course, Tracy Morgan, like, I don't know what his role will be because he's got to be in his 50s now. Hmm. I don't know, but, I mean, he's certainly not going to hurt the movie, that's for sure. Uh, Just let your soul glow. Oh, man. I love that movie. And it's, that's one of those movies where if it's on, like just on, you're flipping through the channels, like that's, I'm now going to watch that. It doesn't matter where it is in the movie. Um, the Royal Penis is Clean. Hell yeah. Uh, Uncle Buck was released 30 years ago. I actually think I saw this in the theaters. Um, and uh, was Macaulay Culkin in it? I think he was. I think this was his role before Home Alone. And uh, I don't remember much. I haven't seen Uncle Buck in a long time. They don't really play it a lot. John Candy was awesome, as always. But the only line I really remember was, here's a quarter. Why don't you go somewhere and get that, have a rat and all that thing off your face. <laughs> Talking to the woman with the gigantic mole. Which, you know, present day PC culture, you know, that makes Uncle Buck look like an asshole. Uh, but <laughs> it was, it's like, still sticks out to me this to this day and i still laugh about it so i don't know uncle buck remake i don't know uh maybe why not i don't know i just wish like john candy was still alive that would be sweet <laughs> all right let's talk new york mets baseball okay uh we're gonna start with this week in history august 4th 1962 um this is unfortunately relevant now um al jackson passed away uh r.i.p um but on august 14th 1962 al jackson went the distance in the mets 15 inning loss to the phillies he threw 215 pitches <laughs> gave up only six hits uh and they and they lost that sucks I think the most pitches I ever threw was 144 against uh, in college against what the hell was the name of that school? They were in DC. Man, my memory. Oh boy, so bad. It was a Catholic university. What a generic name for college, but uh, yeah, Catholic university in DC. Um, I went nine innings, complete game, 144 pitches, and I gave up like six runs. <laughs> <laughs> something like that my arm was dangling after that performance i remember we went to the bar afterwards and i i, I couldn't like drink my beer with my right hand my throwing hand i just everything was happening with my left and i felt like a a toddler um so yeah r.i.p al jackson 215 pitches you gotta believe mets fans you gotta believe that like we're all so used to pitch counts now with, uh, you know, and it seems like 100 is the magic number for a lot of the guys in the rotation now. Um, but like, if you get to like a game seven world series and the Grom's on the bump or Syndergaard is, you know, uh, uh, towing the rubber and there's, then they're cruising at a hundred pitches. That's just like, dude, they're, Tomorrow never dies. There is no tomorrow. <laughs> There's no time to die. You just throw 200 pitches until 
something bad happens pretty much. RIP Al Jackson. On that same day in 81, Dave Kingman. Um, I wish I, I, I wish I, I need to go on like a Dave Kingman binge. I feel like that's a guy that was such a monster for the Mets. And I, like, I don't see enough highlights of him. It's just like, I know the name and I know that he hit home runs, but I don't know about the phenomenon. That was Dave Kingman. He hit a ball 515 feet on August 14th, 1981. And it was the longest home run in the 44 year history of Shea stadium, which I don't know how they measured that back in 81. <laughs> I, I feel like they were just guessing, guesstimating on that one. I don't think they had any kind of technology to measure it. So 515 might be exaggerating a little bit, but the, this is like, this is what Dave Kingman was known for just monster home runs. Um, and he's not, he didn't, he didn't, I mean, I've seen pictures and videos and he didn't seem like he's, like a Mark McGuire esque physique or anything like that. He's just like a tall, just like he's made of oak kind of guy. Uh, August 15th, 1970. <sighs> you want to talk about a excruciating Mets loss. Um, bases loaded, one out, bottom of the ninth. Mets are up 2 1 over the Braves. Tom Seaver is still on the bump. He strikes out um, the batter for what is uh, what should be the second out. The catcher doesn't hold on to the ball. Tying run scores. Two, they try to throw out the runner at home, the tying run. He overthrows Seaver, the catcher, Jerry Grote, and the winning run comes around to score. <laughs> On a called third strike, dude. Two runs on a called third strike to lose the game. Blah. Oh my god. I mean that. Ugh. I probably would have. I probably would have consoled the season at that point in 1970. August 15, 2006. It's kind of bittersweet. Uh, Jose Reyes um, becomes the seventh Mets player to hit three home runs in a game. He, of course, he did it on the road, just like uh, all the other guys before him. Um, August 15, 2011. And, of course, that's I think that's relevant to today because Robinson Cano did it uh, this year, three home runs in a game, but he did it at home. Um, and then Cano is done for the season. <laughs> but the list is Jim Hickman, Dave Kingman, Caudell Washington, Daryl Strawberry, Gary Carter, and Elgardo Alfonso. It's quite a list. Uh, August 15, 2011, Jason Isringhausen becomes the 23rd major league pitcher to record 300 career saves. And he was a third Mets pitcher to do it, or a third pitcher to do it with the Mets uh, as a Met. John Franco and Billy Wagner being the other two. Izzy. I really liked Isringhausen the first go around when he when the Generation K bullshit was going on, and I was actually I didn't mind when he came back uh, later on. Um, he was a, he's a thick dude. He just looked like a thick dude. He looked like he could wrestle. I always wanted to see him just like throw down, just like bean someone and throw down. Here's another Jose Reyes fact. August 16, 2007, Reyes becomes the first infielder in the modern era, so that's post-1898, to steal 60 bases in three consecutive seasons. <laughs> Which, the, 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 the art of the stolen base, like, 
I don't know what's going on because the Mets can't throw guys out and they can't steal bases. So it's like stolen bases are like the are are just like off limits to talk about with the Mets. We don't really talk about that much, but like we cannot stop base runners from stealing bases. Wilson Ramos, doesn't matter who's behind the plate. Nito, Wilson Ramos. There are rumors now that Rene Rivera might come back up. We just can't throw them out. And then they partially want to blame uh, the pitchers because of their long delivery and taking so long to get to the plate. Okay, sure, why not? Um, but then the ability to steal bases on our side of things, on, uh, on offense. I think the only guy who's really stealing bases is Ahmed, Ahmed Rosario. He's got, I think he's got maybe 15. And that's why them not going and getting Billy Hamilton signing Billy Hamilton from the Reds, who's just like, uh, I mean, you want to talk stolen bases, that's the guy. I mean, just sign him to steal bases in late-inning games that are close. And the Braves cucked you again. It just seems like we keep missing out on these key, these key minor players who can do the little things that we don't currently have in place. The things that we did in 2015 that made us contenders. We didn't really do it this year, this, this go-around. And maybe that's because they have, you know, faith in like Nimmo coming back and Lowry, who actually was spotted in the flesh in a baseball uniform playing baseball. I don't think any of us saw that day coming. (laughs) We just thought he he was like Jimmy Hoffa. He just disappeared. And uh, no, he's uh, alive and well, I guess. And he he played well. in the minors, I forget which uh, level he's playing with. It was Port, I think it was Port St. Lucie, single A, double A. Um, Nimmo is uh, he apparently played well, one for three in a walk, I guess, for Syracuse. I never thought we'd see Nimmo again. I still think that that injury is tough to come back from. You know, it almost it feels vaguely familiar to like David Wright in 2015, where he had the beginnings of the spinal issue. And so he came back and he played well, but like he was still like, you can't depend on him long-term. They called Rajay Davis back up, um, which I think is good for the outfield because you don't, you don't want to have a 15 million infielders. Like Rosario finally made his debut in the outfield <laughs> left field. Um, so it's good to have him back. But it, I mean, if we get all these guys back for September, you have a lot more to play around with. You don't have to go to, you know, Louis, Louis Guillaume. Um, anyway, to, to finish up this week in history, August 20th, 1985, Doc Gooden, man. 13th consecutive win, struck out 16 guys. He's the first National League pitcher to strike out 200 more batters in each of his first two seasons. He was only 20 years old at the time. He was 19 and three at August 20th. He has six shutout of the year. I mean, this is like domination, dude. And it stinks that he, we had him till, I want to say like 90 something. And it just never got, I mean, it's tough to, to pull off season after season, but, and I think the drugs, you know, were an issue. You're starting to see like DeGrom put up numbers similar to Doc, but the issue is DeGrom's like, you know, around 30, I think. 
August 20th, 1989. This was a sad day, just because I love this guy so much. Mookie Wilson traded to the Blue Jays for Jeff Musselman and Michael Brady. Really? That's who we gave up? For Mookie? For Mookie? That's who we got? Ugh. Poor Mookie. But that opened the door for Lenny. For Dykstra to, I guess, play full-time. Was he still with them at that point? Yeah, so Lenny went full-time. Nails, who apparently is going to fight Bagel Boss, that Bagel Boss guy. <laughs> That'll be funny. Um, all right, so let's talk present-day Mets. Um, DeGrom had another uh, outstanding start. Uh, was the f- this was on the 17th, so it was the 54th time that he tossed at least seven innings, allowing no more than one earned run. I mean, just like, holy shit. That broke a tie with David Cohn. And gives DeGrom full possession of the seventh most most such starts among all-time Mets pitchers. I mean, he's now, if he continues on this pace, I mean, we're talking Seaver level, Doc level. He's already, I mean, he's pretty much already at that level. And uh, he could go down as the greatest Mets pitcher of all time. Ew. Uh, over his last 20 starts, DeGrom owns a 2.16 ERA, having allowed just 31 earned runs and 129 innings pitched with 153 strikeouts over that span. He's 8-7 and seven with a 2.61 ERA and a league-leading 194 strikeouts. I mean, he, he's, he's on pace to win the Cy Young again, and he should. Considering the... F- I mean... You have to take other factors into consideration. Fuck wins, okay? Wins are out. We're not talking about wins anymore. Just look at what he is in control of and what he can control, and that strikeouts, walks, to a certain degree, hits. Earned earned runs, I guess, is... Look at that shit. And he deserves it. Eight and seven. <laughs> I mean, they they showed some kind of statistic, and it's like this guy Degrom should be. I mean, he's either getting the the number of no decisions that he gets, um, because the bullpen can't come through. You know, if if, if wins is your thing, I mean, and I actually, I mean, I need to do the calculation, but he's got he should have over 100 wins or something like that for his career already. Um, we got to talk about Justin Wilson. You know, r- right now, everyone's very high on the fact that, you know, they're saying, Brody, you made a lot of shitty, terrible moves in the offseason. Bringing in J.D. Davis was probably your top move, okay? That's uncontested. The second best move might be this Justin Wilson signing. So he was, he's been out for a long time. He didn't start that hot, and then he went on the IL. But since coming off the IL, 1.17 ERA over 19 games since July 2nd. You can't get much better than that. And I think there was another stat that said, you know, we've been kind of, we haven't been very nice to the bullpen. (laughs) The reviews have been harsh. But you take Lugo, uh, who, other than that five earned run fiasco against uh, Atlanta, which should have never happened. I mean, that's on Callaway 100%. I think Matt's was at like, what, 69, 79 pitches? Just let Matt's go. Another inning, dude. And if Lugo, if 
Lugo is going to shut him down for the seventh. Well, he's going to go the seventh, eighth, and ninth. He doesn't go three innings. He goes most two. So he comes in for the seventh and eighth. And then who do you got in the ninth? Anyway. But outside that one blip and outside of one bad performance for Brad Brock, Ratch, that bullpen, Avalon, Wilson, Ratch, Lugo, even Familia is looking really good. And if they can continue that kind of performance and just stick to close to average, and if Diaz comes around, and I know we've been seeing it for fucking weeks, and it looks like he's probably even lost his closer position at this point because they have Lugo closing out games. But if Diaz can just figure it out, dude, I mean, that's what it's going to come down to, the bullpen. The, the teams with the better bullpens, because the Mets have been, the Mets, you know, they eat up bad bullpens and they do well against bullpens. You know, starting pitching is kind of inconsistent here or there, although they just lit up Shane Bieber, who is an all-star. Shane Bieber. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like, you know, the offense is firing on all cylinders. Like Juan Lagares is playing well, is hitting the ball. I was I wanted Lagares off this planet because he was below the Mendoza after like 80 plus games. And now he's he's he was hitting 11 for 21, hitting a above a 500 clip. Very nice. And this is all without Jeff McNeil, by the way. So, okay. I I chalk up that loss to the Royals last week to just getting screwed jet lag wise because they were coming from Atlanta. Was it they're coming from Atlanta? Yeah. They didn't get an off day. There was no travel day. It was like, we're playing a night game. It's going to go to 10 some o'clock and then we're going to get on a plane and we're going to go to KC and we're going to get little to no rest. And yeah, the Royals stink. They're one of the worst teams. They haven't even crossed the 50 win barrier. They've lost almost 80 games. You know, we're facing a team that's in shambles for the most part, and we lose the first game. That sucked. But I, I'm going to blame that on, on travel and the horrible schedule and not getting an off day in between series, especially when, when flying. But then they come back, and it, yeah, it was touch and go the next two games. But the guys that they need to step up to win did step up and performed. And yeah, it's the Royals. I would have loved to sweep, but they get two of three. They only win one of three from the Braves, which I kind of predicted. And I said, I'll be fine if they only win one of the three. If they, if the other two games, they play hard and it looks like they could win. Because to me, that says, hey, we're contenders. We just need to fix a thing or two here. The ball bounces this way on a certain play. And like we've, we've, uh, you know, you can blame pin the one loss on Callaway and say, why not just stick mats out there for another inning and see how it goes. But the fact that they were in the game, in those games, they didn't get blown out. They fought hard. They had chances to win late. That's a win in my book. I know there's no such thing as a moral victory, but I, I don't know. You got you to gotta feel somewhat decent about those losses. So... I had him go four of, I was looking at the schedule. I said, you hey, could do four of six. And they did three of six. So with a potential to sweep both series. That said, they still own, the Mets own the best winning percentage among uh, National League teams since interleague play began 97. 
and they're batting 294 in August, third highest average in the majors, 357 on base percentage, also ranks third in August. I mean, they're doing all, all the right things offensively. Outside of that, that, that when they laid an egg in the first KC game, you know, I chucked that up to just guys needed a rest and the guys that were playing were tired. I get it. You know, we all have off days. Um, but here's a stat that I, this is from, an, I believe, a New York Post article. The Mets have reached the postseason nine times, never producing worse than a 588 winning percentage after the All-Star break in any of those years. Okay. Nine of their best 11 second halves led to the postseason. One of the two that failed, the 85 Mets, actually had the NL's second best overall record, but, you know, no wild card, and they didn't win the East. If there was a wild card, they're a dynasty. I've said it time and time again. Uh, the Mets have never climbed above a 700 second half winning percentage. The high of 671 came uh, during that 69, amazing 69 season. And the 2019 Mets began a nine-game homestand uh, yesterday with a major league best 706 win percentage. So, yeah. Going into the Indian series, I was like, all right, the Indians are one of the hottest teams in baseball. They're crushing the opposition. Um, you know, I don't really keep up with other teams, but it looks like they were able to handle, manhandle the Yankees, I believe. And the Red Sox, possibly. Could be way off on that. But the Indians are hot. They got Puig, and it just looks like they, they're on the right path. And then Mets put up, hang nine on them, win nine to two. And you got to feel good about that. But the, here's the most important takeaway from that article. It's like a lot of teams, when they know they're out, right? So the Mets have always been hovering around 500 right at the all-star break, right at the trade deadline. And they refuse to be sellers. They toe the line between buying and selling. And you're like, okay, you're buying or selling, you're kind of hanging out in the middle. And a lot of teams don't do that. They're either buyers or sellers. And the sellers, when they sell, they sell hard. And then they tank hard in the second half. You have a lot of teams that are trying to follow like the, the Cubs Astro model of sinking to the bottom to rise to the top. And that kind of uh, philosophy, modus operandi, it's created super teams and super bad teams as fewer teams are willing to accept that middle ground like the Mets. And so we get gift wins as bad teams grow worse. Now, so we've taken advantage of that, right? like we should against teams like the Marlins and the Pirates and the Padres and teams that are like a pretty have already kind of handed in their pink slip. They're just like, no, nah, it's quitting time. Pull the cord on that whistle pipe thing from the thirties. Um, but the Mets, you know, it's, we're not going to face a lot more of those teams heading down the stretch. I think it's the Marlins. That's it. You know, we're facing teams. I mean, we got two more at the Indians. We got another three with the Braves, but it's at home. I think we can take two or three from Cleveland. And I think we can take two or three from the Braves. Cubs are another story. I mean, we got the Cubs at home. I think we, we probably go one of three against the Cubs. 
still, you're playing 600 ball, which is kind of what you need to do in order to, to succeed. And of course, anyone who thought Pete Alonso was going to hit a wall because of that friggin' home run derby curse, you were wrong, my friend. I mean, he is putting the team on his shoulders. 93 RBIs, something like that. This was a couple days ago, so I think he has more now. I think he has like 97 RBIs. And since 2000, only six National League rookies have, have had more in a season. Pools with 130, which is just outrageous. Zimmerman with 110. Um, I mean, he stays healthy. He's, he's going to crack 100 for sure, definitely. I don't know that he's going to hit 130, though. Maybe. Um, of course, Alonzo hit his 40th uh, home run of the season. That moved him past Cody Bellinger for the NL rookie home run record. Uh, both of the previous record holders, Bellinger and Frank Robinson, went on to win the National National League Rookie of the Year. Um, I mean, Rookie of the Year, yeah, and also MVP. I, I don't know that you can't consider him for MVP. The guy, it's not like he's hitting home runs when he's getting blown out or when the game is out of hand. The home runs he's hitting are clutch. Tie the game, go ahead. And I love the way this guy talks. I mean, this guy is like, he's tying or breaking records set by Mike Piazza and, and David Wright, right? And he's like the perfect combination of those two guys when you look at him. He's got kind of this, he's bigger, stronger than Piazza, home run slugger like him. And then he's got this kind of like, <laughs> I don't want to say boyish charm, but he's got that likability factor that David Wright had. The aw shucks, gee willies, but he's, he's, he's like more of an adult about it he's like a you know he's got the best qualities of right and piazza magnified he's gonna go down as an all-time met the, the mets would be stupid to ever get rid of this guy like seriously sign him up for the lifetime give him the mega mike trout contract or, or bryce harper 13 year deal just do it now get it over with but his quote was uh don't put limits on yourself uh, today, waking up with surreal hard work works, which that's hard work works. <laughs> Put that on a T-shirt. No one has to agree with your method to the madness. If you give your mind and heart to your dreams, they might just come true. I mean, you know, it's kind of Disney-esque. But I like the no one has to agree with your method to the madness. I'm, I know it appears like I don't have a method to my madness, and I really don't. I just want to, you know, I'm just doing this just to see what happens. If it clicks with people, great. If it doesn't, eh, fuck it. All this advice I'm getting, like, you should do a how-to series. How to do what, dude? I don't know how to do anything. I barely know how to do this. I will say this, though. It was a mistake to let Hechevarria go. That said, Joe Panic. I'm not disagreeing with the Panic pick because he's been playing amazing. I think he's hitting over three-something. He's finding his way on base. He's scoring runs. He's making a difference. And when we get McNeil back and Lowry and Nimmo, holy macaroni, dude. We got ourselves a team, a, a good team. That bench, which the bench is depleted now, no doubt about it. I mean, we brought up Ruben Tejada. He's risen from the dead. I just read that he took him almost two years to get back to 100%. <sighs> Two years to get back to 100% after that stupid 
takeout slide by Chase Ugly in the playoffs. What an asshole, man. And, like, for you to feel good about that, Utley, and for you to, like, hate on Mets fans, like, fine, you want to be the villain? Good, you're the villain. Big time. Most hated player in, in Mets history, I have to say. Top of the list. Which stinks because he was he has one of the funnier parts in Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So I got that internal conflict going on, as if I don't have enough inter- internal conflict and struggle going on inside my dome and in my body. You got Chase Utley making me laugh? No. You stop that. Stop laughing. And we, we never got our revenge. That's how we got our ass in the jackpot. Our ass was in the jackpot because Chase Utley, we wanted revenge on that motherfucker. We didn't get it in 2015 playoffs, and we wanted it in, the, in 2016. Noah throws at him, doesn't hit him, gets tossed, and then we get the our asses in the jackpot. Famous speech from that ump who was arguing with uh, Terry Collins. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, it could be a cool redemption story for Ruben. You know, I hope he's able to, to at least play good enough to stay up with the club and, and stay on the postseason roster if we make the postseason. And then if he comes up with like a clutch hit or something like that, I mean, that's got uh, a movie written all over it. So, I mean, the Cubs, uh, you know, I have I have some concern about the Cubs. I think we were two games back from the wild card uh, before winning last night, so I don't know where we are now, but it's going to be tight. I don't, I don't really worry about the Nationals that much. The Phillies, I don't know that I'm super concerned about the Phillies. The Braves are just... thats I mean, the Josh Donaldson, Freddie Freeman, Acuna, I mean, just like they're stacked. The Cubs are stacked. Friggin'... Rizzo and uh, Castellabos. I cannot believe the Mets didn't make a bigger push for Puig or Castellabos. I just, I, Castellanos, Castellabos. I just, I, like, it just was right there for the taking. We needed outfield help. Fortunately, Lagaris has come around, so. Can you imagine if he didn't, though? <laughs> All right. Well, that's Mets talk. Wish I had more for you. I feel like I didn't give you enough, but maybe I did. Let's talk about the Giants, okay? They played their second preseason game against the Bears. And uh, yet again, I think Daniel Jones has further cemented himself as looking, appearing as if he's a quality starting quarterback. He's now got that Danny Dimes nickname, which I like a lot. And, uh, you know, he had... He wasn't perfect like he was in the first game, but he's still, I think he was like 11 or 14 or something like that for 161 and a touch. Uh, didn't throw any interceptions, but did fumble twice. The one was on the exchange with his center, which, I mean, that's like a, it feels like just a preseason type thing. I don't think that's going to happen much in the, in the regular season, especially since you have, uh, you've been working with a lot of multiple different linemen, I feel like. The other one was pretty much his fault, I think. I mean, yeah, I guess the exchange with the center, it's like just stay under center, make sure you get the ball. But that seems easily fixable. It's not, these are all mistakes that feel easily fixable. They don't feel like something where it's like, holy shit, this guy keeps overthrowing the ball or, you know, this guy's all over the place with his accuracy. I mean, this guy throws a pretty ball, dude. I mean, I've seen him, I never threw a pretty ball in my freaking life. 
I'm very envious of people that can just get such a nice spiral every time it comes out of his hand and he has the perfect location and placement. Um, you know, the second fumble where he gets stripped from the front side, you know, hold on to the ball, be more aware, have pocket pocket presence. But he, even when he does drop back, he doesn't have that like Peyton Manning rookie year happy feet. You're, you know, you got to keep moving your feet, I guess, if you're Peyton Manning. Um, but like he does, he looks calm. He looks cool. He looks collected. And he just looks like an NFL starting quarterback. And he's putting the ball where he needs to put the ball, making good decisions. I just, I've seen so much, there's so much, and there's a lot of positivity surrounding him. And of course, we just can't let him be good and, and let all the positivity fall on him. We got to, the media's got to stir up some shit. And, you know, when I first heard about Baker Mayfield's comments, it was like, I want to torch this guy. Just set him on fire. Get the pitchforks. Let's like burn him in effigy. You know, let's put him in his place. I was a huge Baker Mayfield fan. Okay. It's been a roller coaster. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I've always been a Baker Mayfield fan. When, I, when he was in college, I liked the way he played, but I had those, like I've said before, I had those Johnny Manziel flashbacks. I was like, I was all about Johnny Manziel in college. And then he got drafted and he didn't do shit. And it made me look like an idiot because I was pulling for him hard. And I was like, he's going to, you know, we're, we no longer have to deal with these, these like goody two shoe quarterbacks. <laughs> I wanted a bad boy as uh to be like the face of the NFL. I thought that would be hilarious, you know? And then uh, he didn't do anything and he, he's, he's out of the league now and like can't even cut it in the CFL. So uh, no offense. I mean, you know, I still, I was, you know, I'll never forget Johnny Manziel, but I thought Baker Mayfield would be Johnny Manziel 2.0. And I was like, Oh boy, you know, I don't know if I can get hurt again. I don't want to get hurt again. Um, and he, he, he surpassed all expectations played extremely well, but there's this weird, like what is going on with the Browns obsession with the New York football giants? I do not get it. Like, mind your business. Keep to your own. And this is where I get tripped up a little bit. Because I'm like, not talking into the right part of the mic. That's why it's not going to sound good. Fantastic. Um, son of a bitch. That's just, that really throws a wrench into this whole podcast. This whole show has gone down the hill because I was speaking into the wrong part of the mic, speaking to the back part of the mic like this, instead of speaking to the front mark, whatever. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, you know, and a lot of this, it's, it's hard to, you know, it's like a, he said, she said, there's the media who, you know, I've been part of the media. I know, like, I've tried to get clicks before with clickbait. I've tried to make a story out of nothing. You get, like, a boring-ass interview, and you try to pump up one section of the interview. And, you know, I remember reading, like, uh, OBJ's GQ feature a couple of weeks back. I read it from start to finish because I was like, I need to see every single word that was printed. And you got to know that there's some, some stuff that didn't make the cut that was probably explaining what he was talking about, that the the GQ didn't put in there because it was boring or it contradicted their, what they wanted the story to be. Okay. 
So I didn't have the chance to read the whole GQ article about Baker Mayfield. You know, it's like, dude, I don't want to read. And I know a lot of other people don't want to read 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 words. I don't know why I write articles that are 3,000 or more words. I know no one's going to read it, but I can't help myself. And you got to realize that 95% of the people are not going to read that whole GQ article. And so what do we do? The people that do read it, they pick out the... The quotes, the sound bites that'll 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 stir the most reaction, that'll stir the most shit to get people fired up and talking and clicking and link swapping and all this nonsense. So part of me is like, yeah, GQ might be to blame. You know, it was an interview from friggin' April around the draft, right after the draft, during the draft. And they're only gonna include what they want to make Baker out to be the asshole, I guess controversial but baker's quote is if you haven't read it yet i cannot believe the giants took daniel jones blows my mind some people overthink it what makes a good quarterback that's where they go wrong they forget you've got to win you know that's i mean there are there are ellipses and dots all through that there are parentheses and all this other shit it's like you know they're trying to make it look like they're he's shitting on the giants again because he already called out the fans for not showing up um and that he's shitting on Daniel Jones because Daniel Jones didn't win in college. Meanwhile, you look at someone like uh, um, Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech, and he was like 13-16, and yet he's you know, almost leading the Chiefs to the Super Bowl in his first full starting season. And he's MVP and covered Madden, and, you know, there's more to a team, to a quarterback, than winning. But fucking A, man. This whole, this whole like fake battle or war, the Giants are not participating in it whatsoever. The media, or you can even say the Browns, OBJ and Baker, keep talking shit or keep saying things that can be taken out of context by the media. And then the media go, goes running to the Giants and is like, here's what they said. And the Giants just continue to shut it down. And it's why I cannot wait for this fucking season to get started because I, I, I'm sick of hearing this shit from Cleveland. Giants have, you know, Baker said the Giants, Giants fans don't show up. They're not good fans. Fair weather, blah, blah, blah. We're the, 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 someone did a study. We're one of the top five fan bases in the NFL. Cowboys, Pats, Eagles, Giants, Steelers. And it's been unchanged for the last two years. Two years that have fucking sucked. 2017, 2018. Two of the worst seasons we've had. A lot of turmoil. And yet we're still one of the best, you know, fan bases. You know, it's, and, you know, he tried to, like, walk it back. Barstool, I guess, posted it, and he responded in the comments on IG and was just, like, explaining himself. And it's just like... I don't know. I just, I, you know, I went from not being a Baker fan, thinking he's going to be Johnny Manziel 2.0, to being a huge Baker fan when he's with the Browns and seeing him just like doing things that uh, were reminiscent of Brett Favre when Brett Favre was not showing his dick to sideline reporters or cheerleaders. And it's like, I was on board. And I really wanted the Browns 
to go to the Super Bowl. I was pulling for them. They were my AFC team. And now you keep, it's either you keep talking about the Giants. And it's like Landon Collins, too, with the Redskins. Stop talking about the Giants, dude. Stop making the story. And I get it. Like, uh, you know, people ask you the question, you feel like you're obligated to give them an answer. I probably would succumb to that as well. And I just, I wouldn't, I would, couldn't help myself. But it's just like, you're, you're, you're continuing to drive the storyline. And as much as I hate the way the Giants sometimes handle a lot of this shit, they don't feed it. They don't feed the fuel. They pulled the old Eli Manning. And even Daniel Jones sound, is sounding a lot like Eli Manning. I mean, he literally is Eli's clone in so many, more, so many ways. Just the way that he handles himself and the way that he responded to the Baker Mayfield comments and saying, he's a great player and I don't listen to the outside noise and blah, blah. It's just like... Fucking Cleveland, man. Why are you concerned with the Giants? Just don't concern yourself. And I know that that was back in April and it was during the draft and the draft was on and people, I was reacting negatively to Daniel Jones in the draft. I thought it was a bad move at six. Thought maybe Haskins is the better choice just because he is a bigger Giants fan and just felt right. But seeing the way that he's performed in OTAs and training camp and preseason games, it's a bit premature. Yeah, sure. But I'm on board with Danny Dimes. I think he's playing exceptionally well. And I can see him playing starting probably this season. And I even said, you know, in my uh, season recap of last year, you, if, if you can't move on from Eli for whatever reason you want to give him the prop, appropriate send off, you got a lot of fire under his ass. You got to give him some kind of competition. And whether that's drafting a quarterback or picking up someone up in free agency, I suggested both. I suggested picking up like a Teddy Bridgewater type uh, quarterback who you know has started and played well and drafting a quarterback and being and really applying the pressure on Eli and saying, hey, I know you've had legendary status around here and you've kind of we kind of let your play slide for a long time. Not the case anymore. Now you got to play to earn your job and win the job. And as much as John Mara doesn't want to see Daniel Jones on the field, and that has influenced, I guess, to a certain extent, Pat Shermer not, you know, not wanting to see Eli on the field. We're in a good spot. And, you know, as far as OBJ's comments, he said to Sports Illustrated, this, this wasn't no business move. This was personal. They thought they'd send me here to die. I mean, <laughs> you know, I've tried to be on OB, OBJ's side. I know it stinks when you fight so hard for uh, an employer and you put your ass on the line and you really want things to work out and it just doesn't and you get a little bitter but like that this is not the case dude send you there to die and if you're a Cleveland Browns fan that has to piss you off OBJ thinks you go to Cleveland to die where's the confidence in your team you have Baker Mayfield, one of the top rising quarter. He's the he literally, he's the tenth PFF ranked him the tenth uh, best quarterback in the NFL. Tenth, and I, I could even argue he could be closer to five. You got Baker Mayfield. You're with your fucking best friend from college, Jarvis Landry. 
you're on a team that is on the rise, that has the ability to usurp the Steelers and the Ravens and possibly win the division and go to the playoffs. And we sent you there to die? No. We would have sent you to a place that has no shot of winning for years to come, and you would be the only superstar on that team with no quarterback and no potential to make the playoffs. That's more of an indictment of the city of Cleveland. Like OBJ, you could say in that interview with Lil Wayne by his side that he wanted LA big time. He didn't want Cleveland at all. So if that's the case, yeah, okay, we sent you to a place where you didn't want to, a a city you didn't want to be. But as far as the team goes, we're putting you in a pretty good spot, dude. It's just, it's just. It's just crazy. Focus on your own shit. Focus on the Browns. Landon Collins, focus on the Redskins. Keep the Giants out of your mouth, dude. Focus on your own shit. If you really wanted to be with the Giants, you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't have sneezed at their fucking uh, franchise tag. You would, have, you would have been a little more open to negotiations and tried to work with our team. And that's where I get a little pissed at the player. And I know that the owners are always going to get the heat. They're always going to get the, the put-downs, um, you know, because they're so rich and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I get it. Yeah, we're always showing the owners. I get it. But at the some at some point, you got to look at the player. And I say, and I know the players put their – sacrifice their bodies – and put everything on the line and they want to have a secure future. But you can't talk about team loyalty. Like, Oh, the team abandoned me when you didn't explore the franchise tag and try and negotiate and try and talk it out and say, you know, here's where I think I belong and the value and blah, blah. And what's going to happen. So now you're signed your dream deal with Washington and then what you, you don't win anything for fucking the length of your contract. And maybe you play well and go to a couple of Pro Bowls, and I guess they retired. Maybe they will retire your jersey and you go in their Ring of Honor or Hall of Fame, whatever the fuck they have. But then you see the Giants win a Super Bowl. Is, is that worth it? Does that make you feel better? I don't know. Both those guys, Landon and OBJ, it's like I I thought they'd be lifelong Giants. I thought these are the leaders that we need to rally around. And they, the Giants felt the same way. You don't hand a contract like that to someone like they did to OBJ if they didn't think you were worth it and that they thought that you could win with them. But they didn't. They said, well, this problem is bigger than OBJ. This problem is systemic. It's, 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 and now we've painted ourselves in a corner because we thought we had the right combination of players on this roster. We didn't. Turns out we need to make a lot of moves. And the only way we can do that is through getting rid of, uh, uh, through trading them. It is part business, part personal. So it's, I'm not going to put the blame on uh, 100% of the blame on either party. They're both the blame. OBJ really wanted to be a giant for the rest of his life. It's like, 
There are things I think there are things that he could have done better. And he didn't. And so that's why they moved on. And you know, but we sent you there to die is such a stupid comment. That's that's more it says more about you and your thought process about Cleveland and the Browns than it does the Giants. You're unhappy that you're with the Cleveland Browns. Why? I don't know. You're you're gonna be on a winning team with your best friend and then one of the top quarterbacks in the league. I mean, what more do you want? You want to go to the Patriots or to the Rams, probably. Can you imagine if he went to Los Angeles, but he went to the Chargers? <laughs> I, I I don't know. Speaking of the uh, pro football focus rankings for NFL starting quarterbacks in 2019, Eli is ranked 29th. I mean, come on, dude. Come on. Baker's at 10. Like I said, Jimmy Garoppolo is at 18. Jimmy G? Motherfucker hasn't played in over a year. And now he's, he's still trying to bounce back from this injury. His rehab hasn't gone well. He's frustrated. That guy's at 18? Andy Dalton at 20, Jameis motherfucking Winston at 21. Kyler Murray at 23 hasn't taken a fucking NFL snap yet, and he's he's better than Eli Manning by six spots. Joe Flacco at 28. Joe Flacco at 28 got benched for Lamar Jackson, a rookie. And Eli Manning at 29. One above Case Keenum, dude. I know Eli doesn't get upset or mad, but uh, that that uh, hopefully that gets back to him somehow, and he just sees it and he's just like, you know, typical Eli, he'll just scoff at it and be like, whatever. The New York uh, Daily News, I think this is Mike Lupica, maybe, so that Eli Manning is the most important giant ever, no matter what happens this year. And they compared him to like uh, Derek Jeter, which he wasn't the most important. He's not the most important giant ever. Uh, that's Lawrence Taylor by a long shot. And you could see that in the mentions on Twitter. Um, but I do see him being compared to Derek Jeter. I do understand that. Like long career statistics don't tell the whole story. So I get that. Um. And I guess uh, I didn't catch Eli's performance on Friday night against the Bears because we uh, got into late and then there was other shit going on. And, you know, it's the preseason, but uh, he apparently looked good. I think he was perfect 4 4 and uh, threw a touch. So it's a good way to bounce back. But I think that, you know, say what you will, but I think that the, 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 all the talk about Daniel Jones has got Eli, I don't want to say trying harder, but just like a little more pep in the step. Uh, DeAndre Baker returned to practice, which is a good sign. Sam Beal is nowhere to be found, and it's like he's one of those guys. It's like he, the the myth, the legend of Sam Beal, the guy that like everyone keeps talking up, and just like he's nowhere to be found, and might not make the team this year. And then I guarantee he goes somewhere else and lights it up. Meanwhile, Sterling Shepard should be okay for Week One, which is good news. Golden Tate is now in concussion protocol. Dear God. <sighs> wow. Rough start for Golden Tate. I mean, I was, uh, you know, I'm 
I was all on board for that signing. I thought that was a good signing. I think that was just what the team needed, even though, you know, a lot of people think it's just a redundancy with Sterling Shepard. I still think, whoa, you could actually hear the volcanic lava coming out of my uh, esophagus. That was gross. Um, but yeah, the concussion protocol, the fact that he's going to be out for four, four games and then when he comes back, it'll probably take him another week or two, maybe more to get back in sync. It's just like, oh man, that has just gone from bad to worse. I feel for him, but it's like, fucking A. Hard to defend the move now in retrospect, but we, no one knew. Which brings me to uh, the final part of the show. The Giants are ex exploring a potential trade, or maybe they should be. I don't know if this is official. A trade for La Laquan Treadwell, who was uh, a top pick for the, for the Vikings in 2016, the same year that uh, the Giants picked Shepard. I'm, I mean, I'm all for it. I just, I don't have a lot of faith in the, the combination of Fowler um, and Latimer. But maybe I'm way off here. Maybe it's not going to, it doesn't take that kind of, uh, maybe it doesn't take someone, you know, it, 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 you know, like I said before, the, the seasons where they would, in the 80s and 90s, they had guys like Bobby Johnson, Stephen Baker, Stacy, Stacy Robinson. Like, they didn't have, like, top elite wide receivers. They just had guys that could get open and catch the ball. <laughs> that's all. Maybe that's all you need. You don't need an OBJ. I still would feel a lot more comfortable if they had a guy like Laquan Treadwell, who I guess just hasn't played well in Minnesota, but the, you know, I think the giants were on pace with someone like Corey Coleman, a guy who was a former number round one, uh, first round pick who, you know, stumbled, but it was uh, making a comeback. Um, all right. Um, there's a voicemail. It's, it's, I'll let you listen to it. Um, it's from, uh, uh, it's from a lady. So I'm going to play it. Hopefully it comes through. If not, I'll just have to go through post prod and do add it that way. But here we go. Here's the, the first ever voicemail in giant mess history. Will it be good? Let's find out. Hi, Neil. It's me. Um, I'm watching your show and I'm a little concerned that you stand and hold the microphone the whole time. And I think that you need a proper stand to put it on because otherwise it's going to be it's going to be too much so i think that we need to invest in some kind of stand or something yeah. also um i'm glad that you're talking by yourself and without that man that doesn't shut up that you talk from his basement it was fat and annoying and um you need to change your lighting because your eyebrows look orange okay all right love you bye and that was from uh courtney with a 617 area code She's from uh, the Boston, Massachusetts area. Uh, thank you, Courtney, for the voicemail. I really appreciate all the uh, incredible insight. Um, and it's true. And you found that out during this show. 
that uh, I basically need a stand because I was holding the fucking microphone the wrong way and talking into the ass end of the microphone, and it did not does not sound as good as when I'm talking into the crotchal front pelvic fupa region of the microphone. So yes, and truth be told, I know the person who gave the gave us this voicemail. And she works in fashion. So she, you know, I talk for two hours a time with this goddamn show each episode. And of course she doesn't hear what I'm saying. She's not listening to any of the insight that I'm giving you. Not listening to a word. No kind of feedback about the content of the episode. Just how do you look? And I look like shit. So thank you, Courtney, from the Boston area. Or I need to change the lighting because your eyebrows look gorge, which I think is gorgeous. So it's like, no, I don't need to change the lighting. I think the eyebrows look pretty damn good, but I do need a stand. There is no stand for the current microphone that I have. So I apologize. That's a typical fashion response. That's a typical fashion comment and voicemail. You work in fashion, all you care, no, no one listens. So when you're talking, they just care about how you look. And of course, I look like garbage. Why? Because I'm a giant mess. And that's been a giant mess. If you want to leave a voicemail that actually comments on any of the content I'm putting out, and not just the way that I look like a hot piece of garbage, call the number 862-BIT-1986. And until next week, I mean, holy shit. This has been a giant mess. I'm a giant mess. Adios, muchachos.